Good morning. I want to say to start that song, Do It Again. We're singing that song, Do It Again. I've seen you move the mountains, and I know you'll do it again. <clears throat> I love just proclaiming it. We all have seen him move and crumble mountains in our lives. And I was thinking as we were singing it, most of the mountains that he takes down are ones we created. You know, ones that we did, ones that we created, wrong choices, wrong lifestyles. And yet, in his tremendous love, while we were still sinners, he died for us. And we forget that if we, as we've been in the kingdom for a while. <clears throat> we know that he moves for us. But the mountains, the great mountains that I rejoice in and that have become a, a fire on my altar are the ones he knocked down that I didn't have any rights to have knocked down. His grace and his mercy to take down those things that I built outside of his kingdom. And so we can never stop proclaiming his greatness and his goodness, ever, ever, ever. And I know I sound like a broken record, say the same thing all the time, but we can never stop declaring his greatness and his mercy forever and ever and ever to us as individuals. He'll never stop moving on our behalf, ever. So, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives and what you're going to do. We thank you, Lord God, as Adam said, we just need more of your fire. We need more of your spirit. We want to give our life to you, that we would burn for you. And when we stand before you, that we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Outside of that, Lord God, there really isn't much. We thank you for this life and the enjoyment of it, but that our heart would burn for you and stay focused for you. In Jesus' mighty name. And that's what he's called us to do. So I just want to start out by saying that I said to my husband this morning in the kitchen, could you uh, pray for me? And he said, for what? Uh, because I always get a little anxious when I come up here. I trust the Spirit of God, but there's still that flesh side. And I said, you know, so I don't pass out and so I could speak his word. And he said, he laughed and he goes, you have the ability to speak more than my ability to hear. Was it like that? Your ability to speak is greater than my ability to hear. And that's my husband. And, that's, and I know that it's true, but I said, Lord, but I want it to be your words, not just babble, right? Your words. You know, in the scripture, he says, um, Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, he said, Oh, Lord, a God of Israel, there is no God like you in the heavens. There's no God like you in the earth who keeps his covenant and shows his mercy to his servants who walk before him with all their heart. And I think the Lord is constantly calling us back to the altar for more of our heart, right? There's always more of our heart. The sacrifice was already completed by the blood of Jesus Christ. When I'm talking about sacrifice and fire this morning, a uh, quick message, as I always say, quick. But the heart of the message is his fire and our sacrifice. But our sacrifice is only because he did the ultimate sacrifice. So I want to say that and state it before I start, because I know we can't work our way to heaven, right? We can't do anything to please him. We just accept the blood of Jesus Christ and all that he has given us. We stand in his presence and are grateful and thankful for everything he's done. And we never, ever, ever stop being grateful for that. But at the same time, He's calling us higher. He's calling us nearer. He's saying, I want a little bit more of you. I want to I do a little bit more of you. So I want to talk uh, along those lines. So we serve a God who is merciful. I always have to, this is just an introduction because I always have to proclaim his goodness. But we serve a God who is merciful, abundantly giving, kind, long-suffering, patient. He never grows weary with us and he never gives up on us. He's jealous for us and he longs for us, which is mind-boggling. I like to say it because sometimes I don't fully believe it. How can you love me? Don't you ever feel like that, right? You look in the mirror and you think, really? But he really does. He paid a great price for us. And he didn't just pay the price and move on. He gave us a spirit to dwell inside of us. 
So creation speaks of his, and declares his power and his beauty. In Psalm 19, 1, it says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. There's all around us. We can't miss them. If we miss them, we just choose not to. We're just too busy. We look at his creation and we understand that all he made and we have to say, that didn't come from a piece of dust. The Big Bang Theory is not, you have to have more faith in those things than you believe that this word is true, that there is a God. He created it all for us, hoping that we would see the wonder of it and cry out to him. He is the, initiate, the initiator. When I was writing this out, I go, I have to think of another word because I cannot say that word. But that's the word I felt he kept saying to me, that I am the initiator of this relationship. We need to know that. He didn't pursue us because we were good looking, that he, that, you know, we just saw a bunch of rag muffins and he still initiated us. He initiated, he said, I'm coming to you. I'm coming for the lost. I'm coming for the, those who aren't so mentally smart. They're not so sharp. He comes for all the, the misfits. He comes for the greats and the giants and all those too. But I thank God he comes for people like myself. So he is the initiator of this relationship. He gives generously. He forgives unconditionally. He's placed all his beauty of creation around us to enjoy so we don't miss him. Yet we often do, and we, even then, even when we do, he never stops. He never says, oh, I can't help you now, right? The other song that we sang, um, Before Do It Again. He never, ever, ever stops. We can still cry out to him, and he still comes to us. Um, when the Lord said... To his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. This is important to understand. When he said, I go to prepare a place for you, he didn't say to them, listen, I did my job. My mission is complete. Good luck, and I'll see you in heaven. He never left us alone. When he said, I go to prepare a place for you, he still had something for them. Actually, he said, it's expedient that I go. I have to go, because without the Spirit of God, you really don't have anything, right? You have nothing without the Spirit of God. He said, so it's expedient that I go, but don't worry, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. You will not be left alone. In John 14, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A prom that's a promise right there. If you never read the word, just sit on that one for a while. You're not an orphan. I will come to you. I'm with you. You might not feel me. You might not sense me, and it's wonderful when we do, but how great it is to know that we know that his covenant is true. He said, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And he said, this is, I love the scripture, those who love me, I will disclose myself to them. You want the Lord to reveal himself to you? You want him to reveal his character to you? I do. I want the spirit of God in me so he can show me more and more of his promises and who he is. We're not left alone. He promised the helper. In James 4, 5, the Bible reveals the intense yearning the Holy Spirit possesses to have us entirely for himself. That should be no surprise to us because he's the indweller. He's our sealer. He's our sanctifier. He is the source of all power. He's the spirit of the living God. He's the source of all power that dwells in us. Truth and counsel, his attention, his gifts, his power, all for us and his word, we is directed toward us. Why? Because he's in love with us. He's truly, truly in love with us. So sometimes we just need to be reminded of what we already know. We need to remember who the initiator is, who started the relationship, and who is actively pursuing us still. He's always wanting more of us. He wants to fill every area of us and give us abundance of life. We need to know that he wants to give us abundance. And he says, you know, in the book of James, he doesn't give it uh, with reproach, meaning he doesn't give it to you and say, I don't want to do it, but I have to because my covenant says so, right? He does it because he longs to do it. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't do it angrily. He does it excitedly. He does it because he wants to give you a gift, and he's not mad at us. He's not angry with us. When we ask, he will not turn you away. 
He's always throughout history pursued his own and he empowered them, enabled them. He does it with us today so that we, like those who have already completed this race, would give ourselves completely to him. And he's never asked or expected us to do anything in our own strength. That's awesome to me because I'm not very strong. My grandsons always want to have arm wrestling with me because they know I'm the only one that they can probably beat in two seconds. In my, in my physical, I have no strength at all. In my inner man, I have strength, but that's only because of the Spirit of God. The Bible says we were doing a, a class on Tuesday night, so it's redundant for all of you who come, but I think it's an important point. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. His anointing breaks the yokes and the bondages and sets the people free. We have to stand in his might. We are just the vessels he chooses and delights to move through, and what an honor to serve the king. We cannot go out in his might. We say it probably every time. I know I do. Anytime I'm, I'm up here, it's not by might nor power, but it's by his spirit. We have nothing without the spirit of God. And so that was just the intro for what I want to share a couple months ago now. Um, I was in a church service, and I heard a song. And in this song, it talked about the fire of God, and it talked about our sacrifice. And there's only four lines to the song, but it wouldn't leave me. I would play it on the way to work. I played it on the way home. I played it wherever I was. I, I just kept playing it and playing it. I couldn't get enough of it. I would say, I put YouTube on my TV. I would hear it over and over and over again. And, um, and I realized the Lord, obviously, after a month of doing this, the Lord was trying to speak to me. But I want to share, this is what I believe the, the Lord's heart is today. And that's what I want to talk about. His fire on the altar. And I want to talk about our sacrifice. But to do that, because he's calling us back to the altar, the place of dependency, the place of full abandonment, the place where he comes and ignites our spirit. Because of that, I don't want to uh, misrepresent what the fire is or isn't. When we hear the fire of God or, and the brazen altar in the Old Testament when they brought sacrifices, sometimes we think of the judgment of God uh, we, and we, we dwell there. But the fire of God for his children is a fire of love. It's purity and it's power. It's his presence, and we need his fire every day of our lives. Judgment is for the wicked, not for his children. We can hide under the shadow of his wing. Um, in Psalm 34, 15, it says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut the memory off of them from the earth. That's pretty strong. He's got strong love, and he's got strong vengeance, doesn't he? That's who our God is. But those who he's venging against can at any time cry out to God and come into the safety of his, of his being. There's a Puritan quote that says, the same sun which melts wax also hardens clay. Spurgeon said it like this, the same sun which melts wax hardens clay, and the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in sin. It's a condition of our heart. So when the fire comes and our condition is right, our heart is right, we yearn for him, we desire him, we say, Lord, I don't know, I just want more of you. He's not going to destroy us. He's going to actually birth his life inside of us. He's going to burn away the dross. He's going to burn away the worthless. He's going to let us keep the precious, and that precious is his spirit. So the Bible says he's a consuming fire, so it's not surprising that the fire often resembles, uh, appears to re uh, represent the symbol of God's presence. We want his presence. We cry out for his presence. But when we cry out for his presence, we need to understand his presence comes. He's going to do changing in our heart, right? We're not going to be left the same. Thank God. I thank God I'm not left the same. Sometimes people in your family that you knew you way back, they just remember the way back, right? But I thank God that he doesn't remember the way back. It doesn't even come into his mind. He says, I've transformed you. I've done a work in you. And um, you're going to keep declaring it till the day you die. And I pray to God that I do. 
So when I say fire, I'm not talking about the judgment. I'm not talking about gloom and doom. I'm talking about his very presence, his burning love and desire to be with us, his Shekinah glory. That Solomon experienced with the smoke filled the temple, the empowerment that Moses experienced when, when he approached him in the burning bush. And the same that Isaiah experienced when he saw him high and lifted up, right? And the coal came and cleansed and touched his lips. He said, Lord, you provide the fire. That's our prayer. That was their prayer, and that's our prayer. Lord, you provide the fire, and, and I will pre prepare the sacrifice. But he has to bring the fire. We bring our lives, but he has to do the rest. We don't know how to do it. We can't make ourselves fall in love with God. We can't do any of those things. But when he asks, we ask for the fire of God, he causes us to love him. When I first got saved, I said, I, I have to be honest, I don't love you. I want to love you. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. And I, and I gave my life for those reasons. But can you help me fall in love with you? And I started praying, let me love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I made it my prayer all the time, all the time. And one day I turned around and I thought, I do love him. Because I thought, I don't feel like I love you. But the Bible says, those who love me keep my commandments. And I thought, to my best of my ability, I'm trying to keep your commandments and your ways. So we need even his fire to pursue him. He starts everything. He makes it easy for us. In the Old Testament, and make this quick so you see what happened in the Old Testament, he gave us fire in the Old Testament, he gave his fire in the New Testament, and he gives us his fire today. So in the Old Testament, they were supposed to bring their offerings to the priests. They were voluntary offerings and there were mandatory offerings. And they really, a priest back then, Adam wouldn't have liked the job because it's just, well, he might as a hunter, but it was just a lot of slaying and burning of animals and eating fresh meat. They were able to eat some of it. But the burnt offering that was brought, they were to burn the whole offering on that fire, and they were not able, the priests weren't able to eat any of it because the whole thing had to be consumed, except for the skin of the animal. I know it sounds gross to any animal activists that are listening today, but that's how God set it up, and that's how he did it, and that's fine with me because we have Jesus Christ. We don't do that anymore. He was the perfect sacrifice. But that's how they did it, and it was an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. It says it was a pleasant aroma. Why? Because the people were repenting. They were coming back to God. They were coming back to the altar and saying, listen, I want to do it your way. Here's my burnt offering. Take all of it. And when they brought that first offering, the Lord told Moses to tell Aaron, this is how I want it set up. He said, the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it, and it shall not go out. But the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall lay out the burnt offering on it and offer up and smoke the fat portions and the peace offerings on it. Fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar. It is not to go out. And can I tell you, for today, it's the same thing. Fire is to be continually burning on our altar, and it is not to go out. We feel sometimes that the coals are so, are so um, unlit, if that's the right word, but we, are, we can fan the flame, and he can burst in us again. So even if we don't feel his presence, we feel like we've been on the outer courts. He's always pulling us into the inner courts. He's always calling us in. He's always saying, I want to love you. I want to show you some things. Not because he's angry, because he jealously desires us. But the world gets in the way, and we put other things before him. He likes us to enjoy the world. He said that we should enjoy the gifts that he's given us, but make him first. And the altar, we have to burn continually. We know when that fire is going out, right? So this is actually repeated a few times in the chapter. Do not let the fire go out. So we know it has to be important. But why? Because the Lord is saying, I'm always available. In the Old Testament, that's where they came for repentance. So he said, I don't want it to burn out because I want my people to be able to come anytime to repent, anytime to return to me, anytime I want them to come. I don't want them to come and find there's no fire in that altar because they're coming to a living God. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to touch them. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to redeem them, right? 
So that fire was important. You have to have it burnt. And so it's true for us today in Jesus Christ. Um, it's true for us today, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Don't listen to the lies of the enemies. Every time you want to come back to the altar, you come back to the altar because the fire is there. His presence is there. He's waiting. He's actually pretty excited. I had a dream once years ago, and I saw, um, uh, you know, God speaks to us by our personality. So I, I saw the heavens open, and, and there was all these angels uh, around, and I saw these angels, like, excited, like they were like this. I, I can't explain. They, they were, like, on, you know, in the heavenlies, in the, open, in the open heavens, and they were, like, so excited, so excited, like this. I couldn't even wait. And I go, what are they excited about? And the Lord said, your prayers, you're coming back to prayer, you're coming back to my presence, you're coming back to life. And it excites them. There's excitement in heaven because they know that Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, has paid for our sin, and they get excited when we come. It's not just, okay, I'll see you in heaven. He wants abundant life for us now. So he wanted those coals kept red hot ready for whosoever, whensoever. He says, whosoever comes, I'll not turn away. I'm here to forgive, cleanse, help, and change you. I am, I am here to forgive, 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 forgive. We need to know that. Forgive, 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 times a trillion and more. Just keep coming. The altar is never to be closed. Our God is waiting for him. He's waiting for us to come to him, and he anticipates our coming. Because when he forgives in that fire, he purifies. Something starts to happen. We come to the Lord. We go, Lord, forgive me. I'm just coming back to your altar. And something happens inside. All of a sudden, we're a different person. Somebody says, you look different. You know, did you buy new makeup? You know, did you lose weight? And we go, I hope it's the Holy Spirit. So for obvious reasons, fire was important for the Old Testament sacrifices. The fire on the altar of the burnt offering was a divine gift, having been lit originally by God himself. And this is the most awesome scripture in Leviticus 9.24. When he told them to bring the offering, this is what happened in verse nine, uh, 24 of 9. They bring the offering, Aaron cleansed himself. I mean, his sons, and his, uh, they cleansed themselves, and they came before the Lord. They took the burnt offering, and they placed it there. And this is what happened. It says, then the fire came out from before the Lord. That means before his presence. The fire came out from God. He consumed the burnt offering and the portions of the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. I would have fallen on my face too to see the fire of God come out from the presence of God and burn up the offering that I just gave. But you see, God lit, he lit the offering. He, lift, he lit the altar. They, couldn't, they didn't have to do it. He lit the altar, and the altar was lit by heavenly fire. It was lit by consuming fire. It was lit by the same fire that Moses saw burning in the bush, yet it wasn't consumed. It's amazing to me. I go, Lord, you are so powerful. You are so awesome. How could we ever miss this? You are the initiator. You gave the fire then, and you, gave the, and you give the fire now. So the Lord sent the fire upon the altar to burn up the sacrifice, a pure fire, his fire, a heavenly fire. And that's what we need today. We need his fire. And the dedication of the temple, Solomon stood and prayed that prayer when he said, oh Lord God of Israel, there's none like you in the heavens and the earth. When he declared who he was, it says the same thing happened because he rebuilt the temple and the same fire came and consumed the offering again. So it didn't just happen once, and then they had to do it again because they made a lot of mistakes, and they had to do it again. God was able to do it again. So we can't say, Lord, you touched me once. I know you won't touch me again. I gave my life to you once, and I walked away from you. He's saying, I'll do it again. I did it in Solomon's temple. Won't I do it for you again? 
He never stops. The enemy lies to us and says, it's too late. We can't go back. But the father is always saying, come forward. I gave you the fire the first time. I'm the one that started this and I'm going to complete it. And then we say, in, like I said, in the rebuilding of the temple, I'm going to read the scripture in case I missed anything, but it says, now Solomon, when he had finished praying this prayer, fire came down from heaven. And it's Second Chronicles uh, 7, 1. The fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. I want the glory of God to fill the house. There's nothing like his presence, right? There's nothing like his presence. The priests could not enter into the house because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. They couldn't even function. They couldn't even move. They, they didn't actually, the Lord didn't want them to do anything. He wanted to be God in that temple. All the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, the same thing that they did in the, in the book of Leviticus. And they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, truly he is good, truly his loving kindness is everlasting. His presence will get you to understand who God is, his character. Sometimes we have wrong mindsets of who God is because of how we've been raised or what we've been taught, our own pride, whatever, our own opinions. But he's a good God. Every time we see him coming, they always stop and they say they proclaim something like that. His greatness, his mercy, his power. And if we're not able to proclaim his mercy, his goodness, his power, we need him to touch our heart again with his, with his fire. His presence filled the temple and they supplied the sacrifice. The sacrifice, they brought it and he took care of it. He sent the fire and the results were their hearts were renewed in faith. He declared his goodness, his loving kindness endures forever. And that's all generations, if I can just digress for a minute. I was thinking how the Lord always said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? You read the Old Testament, and every time he came to somebody, said he, he would say who he was. You know, and, and I would think, well, you are God. You don't have to tell me that. You know, God comes up to you. You know, we, we don't need to say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're on our face, right? But he always did. And I thought to myself, why? Because he wants us to know he's a generational God. He doesn't just touch me. He touches my daughter. He touches her sons. And it goes on and on and on and on. We have to believe that God's a generational God. He doesn't just touch you. He wants to touch your children. He wants to touch your parents. He wants to touch everybody in your house. But sometimes the enemy makes us think that that's not true because we see their ugliness and we think there's no hope for them. But we know our ugliness, there was enough grace for us, right? He's a generational God. In Psalm 33, 11, it says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. His plans to his, of his heart from generation to generation. So if Jesus Christ lives in you, you can trust his covenant that he's going to do everything he can do to touch your children and to change their life and to bless them all the days of their life, to strengthen them when they need it and to um, give them love and presence and power and uh, surround them with a community of people that they will have a prosperous, godly life. We can trust that. So you who have teenagers, there is hope. So when the fire of God comes, faith comes. When the fire of God comes, they said, he is good and loving and it will never end. That's what they said. So when the fire of God comes, faith comes. When the presence of God comes, hope is restored. Doubt, fear, and regret, they vanish. And men can conceive in their hearts once again. His character is heart of passion for his people. They can see beyond their problems and further blessings from a God who loves them. That's what we see in his presence. All of a sudden, the doubt that we walk in with just gets washed away. All of a sudden, the mountain that we came in with all of a sudden crumbles to the ground. So Moses... 
Moses thought he could do things in his own strength. He felt the call, and we know the story. We know that he murdered an Egyptian trying to help the brethren that were in bondage and slavery. And then when, it found, when they found out that he murdered somebody, he got scared, and he runs to the wilderness, right? We remember the story. And he gets comfortable there. He finds a wife. He has a couple kids, and he even gets along with his, his father-in-law. And his father-in-law teaches him a new trade. Now he's a shepherd, and he's, he's just hanging out in the wilderness, right? He's just comfortable in the wilderness and having a good time. But we need to understand something. When there's a call of God on your life, when God is pursuing you, you're not going to just stay in the, in the mundane. You're not going to be able to ha- habitate in the wilderness, right? We can't be in the wilderness. God is going to come, and he's thinking, well, let, you know, I'm going to let some time pass because Pharaoh has to die, and the new one has to rise up before we do anything else. So, but what happened was he's just minding his own business, tending his flock when he sees the burning bush, right? And in that burning bush, he just, he thought, let me go see it because he was so captivated that there could be a bush burning and not consumed. And what a picture of our life. God can burn in us, but we are not consumed, He touches us, but we're not consumed. He's not going to take our life from us. He just wants to empower us. So he goes and he looks at this, and the Lord calls him, and he, he follows. But what happens is he says hesitantly, I can't do this. Remember the story? We, we did a thing on Moses. But God empowers him. He saw something in that fire. He saw something that changed him forever, and he was able to go off in the miraculous. So without the presence of God, we can't do anything. What he did 40 years earlier, now the Lord was giving him an opportunity at 80 years old to go and free his people which makes me happy because sometimes I feel like I'm too old. Can I still serve you, Lord? Can I still keep doing this? Can I? Well, Moses was 80 years old. So be confident that you can be called and set out at any time. There's no use by date in God. He is a God who is faithful to us, to all generations at every single age. So when God showed up, his fiery presence changed everything. He went out empowered with his presence, and the bondages started to fall, and the nation started to fall, and God's people started to rise up. That's what happens when he empowers us. We're not, we're not Moses living in the wilderness, although we can be in the wilderness. We're not all um, mighty evangelists. But do you know in the area that we live, wherever we are in our home, we do have the same power as Moses? We can speak and see the captives free at any time, and we need to activate those things in our life. So without the presence of God, we can't do much. Actually, the enemy loves when we go in our own strength. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but the Lord um, impressed it on me so much. It was so powerful because of his anointing. And the enemy actually encourages us to go in our own strength. He actually loves when people go to church. He loves when they just sit together and, and just do nothing. He loves when we just talk about God, but don't actually do the acts of God, right? And I'm not talking about every church, but he doesn't mind when we get together and have church. What he does mind is when we start crying out for the Spirit of God, when we start crying out at the altar, change me, and things start happening because he knows when we cry out for the Spirit, then the anointing comes on us, his presence. And it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. I could talk to you till the cows come home and never convince you that Jesus Christ is who he is. But when the Spirit of God comes upon me, I don't even have to say the name of Jesus. I can just say, he set me free, he'll set you free. And then the Spirit of God touches and opens the heart of man and causes him to say, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's amazing to me. I love how when Paul was preaching in the book of Acts, it said as he was speaking, and we all know that Paul was a long speaker, maybe like me, 
He was a long speaker. Sometimes they'd fall asleep and one guy fell out the window. So he's probably a boring speaker. Yet when he was speaking, it says that the Spirit of God opened Lydia's heart so that she could receive the gospel. I just recently read that somebody asked Billy Graham, how many people have you led to the Lord? And he said, neither I or any of my, my staff has led anybody to the Lord. He said, one plants, one waters, God causes the growth. I just preach the gospel and the Spirit of God does, goes and does what he does. Isn't that amazing? So sometimes we get it backwards. We think it's us, but it's not. It's all him. That's why we need him. So he encourages us to go in our own strength. But the Spirit of God is upon us, our strength and our abilities. The captive won't ever be set free. The, blinds, the blind eyes won't open and the hearts won't fully turn to him. The anointing is the presence of God, his spirit upon us. That's why I always encourage pray, 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 pray. Prayer is the most powerful sacrifice we can bring to the Lord. You can pray behind the scenes and you can see the effect of it in the days and the weeks to come in somebody's life. They don't even have to know that you're praying. You're just saying, Lord, let the countenance of your presence come upon them wherever they are. So wherever they are, you can make them think of you, consider you. And then if you make them think of you and consider you, then they'll turn to you. Isn't that awesome? Because it's not us that did it anyway. John the Baptist now came preaching repentance and baptizing in the wilderness of Judah. And he sent a herald to announce the arrival of Jesus, the Son of God. He announced, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus Christ came that we would be baptized in the fire. So in the Old Testament, he provided the fire. And in the New Testament, he provides the fire. Let's see what time I have going on here. He provides the fire. I won't go through all those scriptures, but in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, Jesus told them not to do anything until you were empowered by the Spirit of God. And so as, he's as they are empowered by the Spirit of God after he, was, after he was crucified, they were despondent. We need to understand they were despondent. They go, what happened? How did this happen? And the Spirit of God came on him and it said here that the whole house they were in was shaken and there appeared to them tongues of fire resting on each of them. And sometimes we get hung up in just the tongues, but that's how you would explain fire on top of someone's head, which is so crazy if you think of it, yet they weren't consumed, just like the bush, right? They weren't, but they weren't consumed, but when they walked out that day and started preaching the gospel, started preaching, they didn't fear persecution anymore. They went out with power, and they went out with the right words. He says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Don't worry about what you're going to say, right? I will fill it, and you'll say the right thing to the right person at the right time. And in the same time, and this is the other thing about God, when you, just like with the rebuilding of the temple, he started the fire in, in Leviticus, he gave the fire. He gave the fire again in the, in the book of Chronicles, he gave the fire. He gave them the fire in the New Testament, and then they got scared in chapter 4. And they knew persecution was, was coming upon them again. And it says that they prayed in chapter 4, 29, and now, Lord, take note of their threats, they're coming against us, and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place in your name. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together, it was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. These were the same ones that were filled already two chapters earlier. He gave it to us again. See, he'll do it again. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. Don't ever listen to the enemy that says, oh, you blew it. We want to give our lives to him. We want to give him everything. We want to be in his presence. Second, um, in Romans 8, uh, 12, 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable, acceptable to God. Give your whole self to God. We don't know how, but just ask him to help you, and he'll take it step by step by step. 
We want to give him our lives when we want to be in his presence. He's asking us to bring the sacrifice as he provides the fire. The disciples had become discouraged. They went back to fishing. They were confused. They were doubtful. They were insecure. But when the Spirit of God came upon them, they went out with boldness. And he did it again because they asked. And so part of what I'm saying today is we need to ask. If we don't ask, we don't receive. Don't ever, we can never, ever, ever be settled for where we are. And I'm not talking about striving. I'm talking about we should always, always say, Lord, I just need more of you. Dr. J. Edwin Orr, an authority on revival in the church, was at a lecture. He was a lecturer at Wheaton College. He took some students in 1940 for a brief visit to England to visit where John Wesley, the 18th century Methodist leader, was based. The, the students went through the house room by room, imagining John Wesley, the great reformer and revivalist, and he was a great man of prayer when you study his life, sitting at the worn table eating his meals. They entered the study, and they were able to look at the books on the shelf and the worn and torn writings that he had put there. And they visualized him studying the Word of God. They were even allowed to read some of the teachings that were preserved and left on his desk. They continued up the stairs and saw beside the bedside two worn impressions in the carpet where he had knelt every day, they say, day and night, for hours and hours a day. It left imprints right in the carpet of where his knees were right before the Lord. He, they said that he would pray for hours for spiritual renewal, revival in the hearts of men. In England and the Western world, he wanted it all. So as the students walked away, back through the house toward the bus, they spoke of the accomplishments of this great man and how his commitment to life and his commitment to a life of prayer and desired it for themselves. As they were getting on the bus, Professor Orr noticed that one student was missing. Going back through the kitchen and the study, he could hear someone talking. As he continued up the stairs and through the bedroom, he found one student kneeling on his knees in the same imprints that John Wesley had left with his face on the bed. And he was crying out, do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord, and start with me. The professor put his hand on his back and he said gently, come on, we're all on the bus. It's time to go. We must be going. And rising Billy Graham joined the others on that bus. See, we just need to cry out, do it again. It wasn't until nine years later that Billy Graham did open meetings where thousands came to know him. It wasn't the man, but he had a heart to say, God, do it again and start with me. Start with me. Give me the ones. Just give me one. Let my life make a difference in prayer for someone that the bondages would be broke off. See, we cannot go without his fire. We cannot go without his presence. And so when Billy Graham said, do it again, God started to burn in him. He started to burn in him. And he started to do what he needed to do. So we need to commit our hearts to prayer, asking him, seeking him. The Bible says to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. All it takes is one man, one woman to stand in the gap and pray for your family, your friends, your sons, your daughters, your neighbors. Today, we are the living tabernacle. We saw the Old Testament, we saw the New Testament. But today we are, we have the tabernacle living inside of us. It's hard to imagine. We can't even conceive it, but he lives inside of us. And our prayer should be, Lord, may the fire on my altar never go out. This altar. May the fire on my altar never go out. Make me a house of prayer. 
right? Make me a house of prayer. Because if I cry out to you, I know that you're going to do it. But sometimes we give ourselves to other things that, that don't satisfy. My, my sister-in-law Maria was telling me a story about how her sister came to the house. And uh, she said, Maria, why is there a puddle around that plant? So Maria said, well, oh, it's the plant you gave me. I was watering it. She goes, it must have spilled over. So her sister goes, Maria, you know it's a fake plant, right? You know it's not real. Well, I laughed when I heard that story because she was so faithful to take care of it. She wanted it to live. She told me that story as she was looking at these beautiful plants in the back, and I said, you know, they're, they're fake. And um, apparently it's easy to fool Aunt Maria. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really easy to fool many of us sometimes. Like, what are we watering, right? I walked away and I laughed, and then the other day I thought of that story and I felt like the Lord said, well, what are you watering that is fake? What are you watering that isn't alive? What are you tending to in this life that won't give oxygen in the room, right? What are you keeping and taking care of? We need to find out what those things are that we're giving ourselves to with our whole heart, our whole soul, and say, Lord, is that bringing life to anybody? And then we need to turn to the real plant. We should all buy one for Aunt Maria. And we should water that thing, right? We should take care of that thing and see something grow from it. But we all have the tendency to do those things. So what I'm saying today, I'm going to end with uh, scripture and, and revelations. And TJ is going to come up and prepare to sing one song, him and Tamisha. But I want you to see the result of a sacrifice of prayer. In Revelations chapter 8, verse 3. It says this, this is the end of the book. So we see he gave the fire in the beginning, he gave the fire in the middle, and the fire is still burning in his altar today, in heaven. Another angel came, this is John's um, revelation. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add to the prayers of all the saints. And if you go back and study the Old Testament, you'll see that that was the that was the order of the ritual. But it's more than a ritual. He added it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which is the prayer of the saints. That's the scent that the Lord loves. You wonder sometimes, I used to think, Lord, what, what scent do you love the smell of, right? You know, when people start dating, they buy certain perfumes, right? But what scent does the Lord love? What pleases him? And this is the smell right here. It's our prayers. He turns it into a fragrant aroma. I can't wait to smell what that is. But he loves it. He loves when we come to pray. So, they, so he added the prayers of the saints to the golden altar, which was before the throne, verse 4. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire on the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds of flashing lightning and an earthquake. The Lord took those prayers. Our prayers are added to the incense in the golden altar, placed on a golden altar before God, who answers with power, thundering upon the earth. It's not a physical earthquake, but when God moves a mountain on in your life, don't you know in the spirit realm, it's an earthquake. He shatters that thing. When you pray and he takes those prayers and he, and he mixes it with his coals and with his fire, something happens. Something happens and he moves upon your life. So just like Jeremiah who said, there is fire in my bones. Why? Because the spirit of God was on him. 
just like Moses who saw the burning bush and it wasn't consumed, and like all the others throughout the history of, of the world and out of God's people, they all experienced his consuming fire. They couldn't explain it with words. Intellect won't do it for you, but something happened on the inside. So I just want to pray. I felt like today the Lord was just saying, bring me yourself to the altar again. Bring the sacrifice again and again to the altar. Not that I'm displeased with you, but I, because I'm pleased with you. And trust me, you need more of me. You can't do it by yourself. We need more of God. So it's a message really of encouraging from the heavenlies that God is calling us higher, calling us deeper, going a little deeper like that metal detector that I want to buy, going a little deeper that you can go two feet deeper and you can see him a little clearer. And that fire inside of you will give you strategies how to pray and how to come before him and how to help somebody and how to be there for somebody and how to listen to the Lord. In all those things, that's what he does. So in this song, it says... Lord, you provide the fire and I'll provide the sacrifice. So if we could stand while they sing it and make it a prayer of your heart, Lord, I just need more of you because I can't do it by myself for sure. I can do a little bit, but I want the empowerment of your presence, of your purpose in my life, that my family would be secure in you. So if we could just stand, don't hear it as a song, as them talking to us, as, as them entertaining us with their voices. But if I ask you, just please just close your eyes and say, Lord, do that in me. Do it again. If Billy Graham could say, do it again, we need to pray, do it again. Or do it one time if it's the first time for you. But do it again. He wants to visit you today. We just thank you, Jesus. Lord, we present ourselves right now before you, Lord. We're going to do exactly what we've said today, Lord. We're going to give ourselves fully to you. We thank you, Lord. You are the fire. You are the strength. You are the hope. You are the life, Lord God, in us. We are the sacrifice. Lord, we join with you, Lord, in your sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, that if we will join with you in your sacrifice, your word says we will also share with you in your glory. And we thank you, Lord. Right now, Lord, we just present to you everything. We give it all to you, Lord, right now. I thank you, Lord. It's your joy, Lord, to love us and to be with us, Lord. It is not... Lord, cumbersome for you, Lord. You love being with us. You want us, Lord, to want to be with you. And we thank you, Lord, right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that this sermon, Lord, Lord, that these words, Lord, would go deeper than our ears, but go into the depths of our heart, Lord. And I pray that you would fan into flames, Lord, as we, Lord, seek you, Lord, just like your word says, Lord, to seek you, we will find you. If we call upon you, you will answer us. And I thank you, Lord, for that fanning into flames of our calls, Lord God. They have not gone out. Lord, they seem like they've gone out sometimes. But a little bit of wind, Lord, reveals the redness, Lord. It might look black, but the red coal inside comes right back to life. We just thank you, Lord God. And we just, Lord, we're going to put some, put some time, Lord, into seeking you. We're going to put some, Lord, some time aside, Lord, to seek your face. We're going to push aside, Lord, our distractions and seek you. And I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful, Lord, to meet us. I thank you, Lord, that you will meet each of us, Lord, in that place. Begin to speak to us, Lord, and show us, Lord, just what you have for us. 
We just give you glory, Lord, and we thank you and praise you. And I just pray for your blessing upon every single person in this house, Lord, every single person and upon their families, Lord, and upon their week, Lord. And just thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us, Lord. And we just pray this week, Lord, that you would continue to burn, Lord, that we would burn for you, Lord, like never before in Jesus' name, the name of Jesus. Amen. We just thank you, Lord.